Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You look so good when you get out of bed. You're always ready to go. I caught you looking like a million bucks. So I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm here to do a bunch of podcasts with LA natives, but by pure chance and coincidence, Mr. Danko Jones is in town. So we finally lined up a well a talk, which I've wanted to do for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's great to uh, to be on your podcast, and I listen to it. Do you really? Yeah, I do. I've heard a few episodes. Which ones did you enjoy? Um, you gonna put me on this? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Uh, well, obviously the Johnny Rotten one, the Benji one, nice. Uh, the uh, Tommy Victor one. Um, those are the ones off the top of my head. But yeah, I love it, dude. yeah, there's been a few. Oh, good man. Yeah, so, did you know Benji prior to the tour you've just done with Skindred? Yeah, we've known uh, each other for years. Right. Okay. I mean, we played together for years. I found out about Skindred um, on a festival that we were booked together on. And then, you know, we just, uh, I, I think we both noticed within each other there was very similarities in our positions and in terms of the music we were doing and the audience we were playing to, et cetera, et cetera. So there was an automatic kind of uh, mutual respect between the two of us. And uh, I'm glad it finally happened where we were able to tour together and to do it on Skindred's home turf was great. And with CKY sandwiched in the middle. Absolutely. The CKY guys are great. Um, you know, Jess and Chad and, and Matt, they're awesome. And and when I went to see them, when they played in Toronto, maybe a year and a half ago, I was really surprised at just how 
the level of musicianship from those three and Chad being a singer and guitar player myself I was I was kind of uh, leveled <laughs> at uh, as to you know how well he played guitar and how he how well he sang and just everything about his guitar playing was very impressive and I felt like you know we took a photo and I think I uploaded it on Instagram and I said like I feel like a hot dog sandwiched in between like a filet mignon of, of musicians <laughs> you know they're all really good Matt's a solid drummer just as a solid I mean a Matt's a solid bass player just as a solid drummer so yeah it was great to tour those two bands and it was smooth. You know, the best tours always end up being the shortest, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you like get to the final date and you go, man, I'm just getting into it. I yeah. want it to carry on forever. Yeah, absolutely. It was... That Brixton show was something special. That was the penultimate show, obviously, wasn't it? Had you played Brixton For before? Us. Yes, we did in 06. Yeah, we did. It had been a, it's been a while, but yeah, we were there before. I think it's the best venue in the UK. Yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah, there's, you know, I could say there's a few other ones, you know. What, which don't ones? Wanna, don't piss which ones off. hold little dear spots in your heart? Well, when we played with, when we toured with Motorhead, we played, um, uh, uh, well, what is it called now, in London? Talking about the Hammersmith. Hammersmith, but it's called. I think it's called the Hammersmith. Oh, it's even Apollo. Is it now? Is it, oh, is, or is it, it still? Sti- or was it the Apollo? Now it's maybe the Odie. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but the Hammersmith but the, venue. What, what people know as the Hammersmith. No sleep till Hammersmith. And of course, baby. you know the history yeah. of that behind it. For you know, for us going into it, you know, I kind of was wowed by that. Um, Manchester, the huge venue we played with Motorhead there was, I thought, was pretty cool too. So. We're obviously in Lemmy's kind of you know spiritual <laughs> home. Right. right now, right by the rainbow. And um, I guess for you, he was not only a musical hero, but also a friend through the tours you did. And I wonder if you could just tell me a bit about what Lemmy meant to, to music and then also to you personally. Well, I mean, he was... Uh, God. Yeah. God, I'm at a loss for words. You know, Lemmy was... As cool as he was and as as dangerous looking as he was, you know, that's what made him so cool to a lot of to a lot of men, you know, a lot yeah, of the boys. outlaw vibe. Outlaw, yeah. the, the rebel. He embodied the mythological idea that we have in our head. Here he was live and in person, you know, yeah. like he stepped out of a of a movie of a comic book. Um, but beyond the look, it was the way he approached his music the way he approached just as a person what i really liked about lemmy more than the music was um you can hang like he he doesn't put any cool um decorations on anyone like we would do on other people including himself like what i mean to say is like he just took everyone at face value and judged them on what he saw not from what they looked like or or you how know, famous they were. Yeah, or, he yeah. just took you as you were. I found that he could hang with anybody. He could hang with, you know, like what people would probably consider really nerdy people as long as he could see through that. I, I thought that's what Lemmy meant for me, you know, and I've, I've, I take that with me wherever I go. I don't give a shit if you have the right fucking patch on your jean jacket. I really don't give a fuck. Um and so that's what I took from Lemmy. And there's a great story that I heard years before I met Lemmy having to do with Getty Lee. Being from Toronto and Getty Lee and Rush, there's a lot of Rush stories that are abound in the city. 
And the one story I had heard was, I don't know if it's true or not, but I kind of believe it is. Um, Getty had invited Lemmy to his house, right? And so Getty's wife, looking at the picture of Lemmy and Motorhead and what that kind of stood for from an outsider, uh, she was dead set against it. And Lemmy came over and charmed the living crap out of her, you know? And that is how I see Lemmy. Like, you know, Lemmy could probably charm my mom, you know? Like, he, he could charm anyone's dad or, or you know, like, he, he's just that kind of person. A salt of the earth type character, a man of the people. Yes, I really feel that. Um, and then, of course, let's talk about the music, which was, you know, very inventive, very heavy. It, 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 um carried uh this this weight for for let's let's be honest boys who really felt like outcasts and here was this fucking guy who was really our leader <laughs> you know he so yeah it's it's great and then beyond that to find out behind the scenes that he was so cool to me Phil Campbell and Mickey D were very cool to us the the crew Motorhead crew, which was also another thing about Lemmy, is he he um, they run it like vaulted, a family. Don't yeah, they? they vaulted the crew up to the status of of the band members, so that was really cool too. And how they were treated, and yeah, yeah, Motorhead mean a lot more to to a, I think all of us than just the music, you know. So, and that's another thing is like now that he's passed away, yeah, we have lived in a. We, met, we were able to be in the presence of someone that I think people are going to mythologize and, and, and make bigger and deify larger than life as the years go by. The longer time goes on. I yeah. hadn't even thought about it like that because yeah. he was obviously a legend in his own lifetime. What you're saying is he will likely become an even bigger, bigger legend. Bigger and bigger in and years bigger, to come. I think. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think. You know, although... I'd agree with that. You know, the, you know people people have a short-term memory and it's getting shorter as as the days go by but <laughs> it certainly is yeah I, I would I would assume it would get bigger and bigger um, and I guess in to bring it around to one of the the original reason why we're out in LA is because I'm releasing a book um, and in the book there's four pages of comic strip panel where I talk about singing on stage with Lemmy and it was illustrated by Gary Dumb of American Splendor fame and and so that story is true and that happened on that Motorhead tour we did with them which track did you do? Uh, it was uh, Born to Race Hell love it yeah and so you know you know a song like I, I mean even Ace of Spades like you, you and I know the song but then if you were asked to sing with the band in three, four hours, do you know all the words? Like, I honestly don't. I would have to run through it a few times, even if it's a song I know very well or I've heard a million times. I've heard, you know, songs a million times, but I still don't know all the lyrics off by heart. I often the, find that because yeah. I've had moments at karaoke bars where I'm like, I know this. Right. And you go up, you're like, I don't need the words. Yeah. And then you kind of go, oh, I don't actually know anything other than the chorus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just the chorus we all knew. <laughs> so um, Born to Raise Hell was one of those songs. Like I knew this song, but I didn't know it backwards and forwards, to be honest. Yeah. Not like an Ace of Spades or, or an Overkill or something. And... When I got asked to sing that night, it was on the day of the show, I was like, I'm never going to say no. You don't turn Motorhead down. But then I started to panic because 
he wanted they wanted me to sing the song and then to top it all off Lemmy asked me to sing it in front of him in his dressing room just to make sure I knew the song and that was like, that was what the a most surreal moment nerve-wracking that's probably like, scarier than the show itself right it was yeah and I sang it in front of him as he watched like me, as close as we as, are now as close as you and I are that's as close as I sang the lyrics of Born to Raise Hell back to Lemmy to make sure that I could get on stage and sing it with him. It Amazing. was insane. But hey, I passed. <laughs> you passed the test, dude. <laughs> well, you've, you've mentioned something now. I wanted to talk to you. The reason I've always been really intrigued and inspired by what you do beyond just your music is I consider you a bit of a modern-day renaissance man, Danko, <laughs> in that you, know, you have your finger in many different creative pies, the reason I, one of the reasons, anyway, one of the main reasons why I even started this podcast is after interviewing you about your top 10 favorite podcasts. And, right. that, and that sent me down a podcast rabbit hole and I started listening to all the different shows out there. And I was like, wow, I think I'm going to do my own. So that was partly inspired by you. So thank oh, cool. you for that. Oh. But as well as obviously the podcast, you've got many articles that you write for music magazines. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the book first, though, because you've just mentioned that. Tell us about this new book, what it's about, what the sort of inspiration behind it was, and um, and what's inside the page. Well, it is about all my articles. It's a collection of articles that I wrote from the past 10 years of articles for music magazines um, in Spain and Switzerland and Norway and Sweden and uh, and do you write Hungary. in all their native languages? No, no I write I in English say. and then they right. translate it, and then you just kind of hope to God they get the uh, translation <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought you were doing it in all the original languages. I was like, this guy is unstoppable. No, I shouldn't have said. I should have just <laughs> kept with it. <laughs> um, so it's articles from all the music magazines, and then it's obviously like, is there more comics than just the Motorhead one, or is that right? A- yeah. So I felt kind of uncomfortable, kind of selling people something that they may have read before or maybe even you can see some of them online i guess if you look hard enough maybe so just in case i asked some people who i knew were in bands who illustrated who drew to start drawing for ask them to be part of the book project and i got a few and i got a lot who said no because they were too shy too you know, shy really yeah like like they're, I'm not going to out them, but like you know, I, I would see someone upload a picture of Darth Vader that they drew, and I go, hey, dude, do you want to do this thing? And you have to interpret one of my articles, and you, you know, and that's when they got cold feet, which is understandable. But I did manage to get about five. So Brian Walsby drew the cover, and he is a drummer. He was in Polvo for a brief stint. He was in Shiny Beast. He was in Snake Nation with Mike Dean and Woody Weatherman of COC. He was in Wax uh, with Matt, Matt McCon of, of Super Chunk. And he was in a band with Ryan Adams. And his claim to fame. Is, That's a broad church right there, he, isn't it? His claim to fame is he turned down playing drums for Nirvana back in the day. But he is an amazing illustrator. He illustrated Walk Together, Rock Together, 7 Inch by 7 Seconds, which is like a pretty classic uh illustration he's done illustrations for the melvins because he works for the melvins now he's their merch guy he travels all around the world with them and i've had him i had bookmarked his site because i wanted to ask him to do the cover for years when i had the idea for a book hatched years before i'm talking five six years ago i had the title i had the idea but i just didn't have the material um, and I wanted Brian Walsby to do the cover because I love his artwork. So I was able to get him. Damien Abraham from Fucked Up, the singer Fucked Up, he did an illustration. I love that, dude. 
he's a, he's, he's he's a real sweetheart. Yeah, there? he's a he's a good friend. Um, and Juan Montoya from Torch, um, um, Valiant Thor, Valiant himself from Valiant Thor, the singer. He did um, a comic strip um, away from Voivod. Did. Uh, three nice. or four pages of illustration and then I ran into a wall so I started to ask illustrator friends of mine Gary Taxali, Mary Fleener oh wait, uh, Fiona Smith uh, and then I started to ask people that I was really big fans of, Gary Dumb who did the Motorhead strip, Mary Fleener who I'm a huge fan of for her Slut Burger comics and so yeah, it just became a big thing, Erie Vaughn from Sam Hain and Danzig, he did an illustration for it as well. So it became this p- collaboration. And then Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses wrote the foreword to the book. So there's a, like a lot. Th- and everyone's music connected. Even Gary Dumb, who did American Splendor comics with Harvey Picar. Harvey was a, um, a jazz critic. He loved jazz. And he would sell his jazz collection to finance his American Splendor comics. So Gary... Dumb would do these great biographies that Harvey would write about jazz musicians and bluesmen. And I loved Gary's illustrations in American Splendor for years. So I I grew a pair of balls and I emailed him one day cold and we've struck up a great friendship since then. So it's great. And because because having illustrators uh, interpret the articles was basically an idea taken from American Splendor. So why not just go to the source? The guy who I used to look at his illustrations for Harvey. So it's great to have that. It makes full it full circle moment. It's full of, yeah, it makes it feel like legitimate in my eyes. So is there any sort of tour stories, tour diary type stuff in there? Is it is there a lot of you or is it more your appreciation of music as such? Does that make sense? Like yeah. is there rock and roll stories right. or is it more like a a document of music? Um the thing about when you hear a guy or, or someone in a band writing a book or releasing a book, it's automatically assumed it's an autobiography. A lot of people in bands don't take uh, the, the role of critic. Uh, there's nothing beyond their immediate experience uh, in, in, in music, you know, having to do with their life on tour. Yeah. There's, a, there's a few articles about that. I tried not to, to do it like that. I wanted it to be a little wider. Um, and different, to be honest with you. So there is like a there's like a whole article about um, the communal chip bag in the dressing room that that every band uses on their rider. And I wrote a whole article about that, like just minuscule stuff. Uh huh. <laughs> that it's so that fresh. that is the band experience that is in the book mostly. And then there's like I wrote liner notes for. I, you know, I include liner notes that I wrote for other bands like Sacrifice. I wrote their liner notes. Or I'm a huge fan of Death Angel, so I wrote a piece in the Huffington Post about it. That's included there. I wrote a piece on Kiss, um, who I'm a huge fan slash critic of. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> I, relay, I I did a whole essay on their solo albums, and I related it to the RYB color wheel and color theory. And th- th- there's things like that. But the, the book opens up with my fandom for Thin Lizzy. And so that's just how the book starts off. So there is, it's definitely... It's like your relationship with music. With music, exactly. Right on. And what what do you sort of make of everything that's been going on with Gene Simmons? Have you been keeping up to date with... Well, I guess it's like every day there's a news story with him. Or not yeah. even a news story, a, a headline which is ran as a news story. Because he was on this show a while back. And the week I was going to publish the episode, 
I'd lined it up with iTunes to have a homepage feature. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a really like cool celebratory way to end the year because it was just before Christmas. And then the day before it was scheduled to go live, there's an article that he's been accused of sexual battery by this journalist. Gene Simmons? Yeah. I didn't hear about that. Did you not read about was that? Was it a Me Too? It was basically what had happened. Him and Paul were doing an interview to promote a restaurant they were opening. And Gene had like got this girl's hand. <laughs> I laugh because it's ridiculous. And put her hand on his leg mm-hmm. during the interview and in her eyes that mm. is enough to warrant sexual battery allegations so this news story starts doing the rounds obviously everybody because gene is a very easy target isn't he because he's bragged a lot about his sexual conquests in the past and mm-hmm. everyone just kind of jumped on him and so i held the episode back for about three months basically okay. because i didn't want to add fuel to the fire okay and i wanted to see how that situation panned out but i did actually weirdly speak to gene not about that case but about that sort of theme mm-hmm. and he was kind of just painting it in the picture that anyone can say anything about anyone now online okay and everyone just instantly believes it and he was like oh here's an example and he showed me these series of texts that he'd basically exchanged between a guy who had been in a room with Gene when this woman had accused him of a similar sort of thing and the guy was like well I was in the room with you the whole time and you didn't touch her like nothing happened Mm. so I don't know whether he's just a dude who gets a lot of it but as a fan of Kiss like do you have problems with Gene because some people will love Kiss but go oh Gene he kind of he spoils it for me where do you stand on uh, you know, Mr. Controversy, well, Gene Well, I can see Gene's point, but I also can say that Paul doesn't get those accusations, and I'm Team Paul. Yeah. I've said that online. Paul has actually liked my tweets where I've hashtagged <laughs> Team Paul. I am Team Paul till the end. And, um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of... Of, of Gene. Of what he says. Yeah, like, um, I, I, I love his songs. Yeah. But um, I'm not a big fan of, yeah, what he's been saying lately. Um, some of the things he said, I think, are outrageous. And, you know, when an accusation like that uh, shows up, um, I'm not, not going to comment about that particular case because I just found out about it. Yeah, he yeah, told yeah. me. But I will say this, you know, it comes up, but there's like a there's like a, a past history of, of of his behavior. Yeah. Whether it's what comes out of his mouth or what he, you know, professes to have done. But like I said, the, the, like Paul Stanley, there's there's really nothing like that. There's none of that's that following like, him around. But he, you know, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how Paul carries himself in interviews and I like how he. How he is online, you know, in, in social media. Sometimes he does like come out fighting. <laughs> he he tries to embarrass some people who I think might actually just be his fans. I find that funny, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think Paul's um, embracing his 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 place in in music a lot better than Gene is, and I think Gene is trying to like keep up with the kids. And he's but failing. He's so out of touch. Yeah, yeah, and he's failing. Yeah, I think Nick Simmons wrote something about that too, where he is his aware son. of how his father is. Yeah, I read a, that. It was a really interesting piece actually, because yeah. you kind of actually go, "Wow, that's the guy's son," and he talked about right. it so openly and honestly, yeah, and candidly, didn't he, and unapologetically? Because mm-hmm. I think the thing with Gene is, I find him hilarious because I just think he's an outrageous, over the top, larger than life rock star, and mm-hmm. I think I think there's still very much a place for that in today's world where it's all 
political correctness and it's all you can't say that you can't say that i think people like that and i'd love to hear your yeah. your thoughts i think people like that just keep things a little bit provocative mm. and, and and interesting the problem that i have with what he says is he uh in a world we live in a world where rock and roll is not the most popular form of music anymore it's not even the fifth most popular form of music it has become uh seen it's been it's now people see it as this this dumb music liked by dumb people made by stupid people and his stupid comments um only reinforce that yeah and you know as a guy in a rock band that's what i do for a living I, you know, with with all these stereotypes of dumb rockers reinforced by what people like Gene say, it's really, you know, we're I, you know, we try to like fight the image of the Beavis and Butthead, you know, and and the Anvil, these kinds of <laughs> Wayne Campbell type yeah, yeah. stereotypes, and Gene's dumb, really dumb comments and really ignorant comments at times doesn't help. No, and so uh, on the other hand, I feel like if you don't like rock and roll music, I feel rock and roll is sinking lower and lower, and it's becoming underground now, and that is what I like. I like the fact that it's now been rejected, but I don't like it being rejected via Gene Simmons. Yeah, um, but I do like the fact that it is now an outsider form of music. It's it's less popular than indie rock hip-hop rap music electronic dance music even heavy metal and of course always pop music rock and roll is in kind of side by side with jazz yeah and that to me is great because i always was i'm always attracted to the underdog to anything that's underground um, That's very, where the exciting stuff happens. Well, as well, yeah, right? you know, like it's perfect timing that rock and roll is in that position because for me, putting out this book, having it come out on Feral House Press, which is like an imprint that I always was attracted to because it's such an underground, it's just underground culture. And to be a part of it, to be a part of the Feral House family, I mean, my God, that's great. And it helps rock and roll as, as, as a whole genre too. So, yes. I'm glad in a way <laughs> that rock and roll is less popular due, but not due to like people like Gene Simmons. Um, his, his comments do not help anybody. How do you think he'll be remembered once he passes away? Right. The, the, the legacy because, he's leaving yeah, with the you, things he's doing and saying. And I've asked him about that in interviews. I've said, like, do you feel any form of sadness that perhaps when you're gone, you won't be? loved and cherished in the way that people like Lemmy are because of these harmful mm. things that you've said. Right. And he's just straight up like, no, I've had a great life. I'm grateful. I leave with, you know, I think he said what he would have on his tombstone would be something like, thank you very much. Good night. Like, that's it. Like, I believe him too. Yeah. You know, he, I, 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 no and that's kind of why I also admire him in a way is because he really doesn't give a fuck. And there's so few people, I think, I know he can be harmful. And I know what he says can be damaging. But for me, there are so few people that genuinely don't care what other people think about them in right. today's world. And that, for me, again, it's kind of refreshing. No, I, I, hear, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. But there's so many voices these days through social media who are saying some crazy stuff and yeah. who are getting the traction that 
I don't need to hear it from my favorite band. Of yeah, all time. right, right, right. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Like, um, just give me that. Uh, I feel yeah. yeah. Yeah, just give me that that place where I can just go to it and not have it, you know, burd- burdened by you know whatever one member has said or not yeah. said. Uh, how um, do you think he will be remembered though? Do you think people will? Forgive and forget. Once yeah, he's gone? I, I, I do believe that. It'd be a shame if they didn't. At the end, what will remain are, is, I think, the music, and whatever he said is just a, an end note or a footnote. Even yeah. that will probably be forgotten. Because that band, I think, of if you're say under thirty, no one really appreciates the importance of Kiss. They just, again, maybe because they see Gene as this old guy who says this embarrassing stuff, and they wear makeup. They're like, oh. But Kiss, for a whole generation of kids, were the most important thing since the Beatles, weren't they? They were so absolutely huge, yeah, in terms of what they did for rock and roll, and like the culture of rock and roll beyond yeah. just songs. I I I, I agree. Um, uh. But what I love about Kiss, and then I guess I'm kind of taking my words back with this statement, but what I love <laughs> about Kiss is the fact that they are, um, they've been around for so long, long enough where they've made enough mistakes to really endear them to people. Like, I love the fact that, you know, this album stinks, you know, like I'm not going to name the albums I think suck, but the fact that they have albums in their discography, which are really lemons. Yeah. You know, it, it, it makes it, you know, yeah, it makes them human to me. And throw Gene Simmons's comments in that mix. The fact that he said these crazy things, the fact that Peter Chris has done some awful stuff as well. And it's something he's admitted to in his own autobiography, um, which I'm so hellishly surprised he actually agreed to put that in. But anyways, all that stuff. It just endears them to to me. It just goes, oh well, you know. Sometimes when a band is just completely on and they cannot make a mistake, it does kind of lessen it in a way. It's just kind of like, man, you know, like for example, human I, beings are flawed, right? It makes them more real. It makes them more. Well, yeah, like I love Childish Gambit. I love Danny Glover. I think Dan Danny Glover is like a quadruple threat. He can sing. He can rap he can act and he has a netflix comedy special like the guy is insanely talented and childish gambino was my favorite album of last year but with this new video that's making like millions of hits i like haven't seen it 80 million views i haven't seen in it a yet. week yeah i haven't seen it yet and i was wondering why to myself why haven't i clicked on this and watched what everybody's talking about is because the guy's perfect. You know what I mean? It's getting to the point where I'm like, this guy can not fail. He's the only one who can't fail. He's in the new solo movie as Lando Calrissian. You can watch his Netflix comedy special where it's really good. And then he put out the album of the year last year to me. Like, and he can rap. He can sing like nobody else. Ah, oh, man, he's amazing. I'm just going to assume the video is awesome, okay? And we'll just we'll just move on. <laughs> it is interesting, though, because ultimately all the video does is show that America has a problem with gun violence and institutionalized racism. Wow, I agree and, with it. And, and I'm, I'm sure he totally... I totally... And you're like, yeah. yep, you're right. I mean, yeah, I won't go off on one for that because I was... I, was, I Google lyriced the song. And the lyrics are literally just kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. So for me, the way everybody's been reacting to that, I'm a bit like, ah, well, 
NWA said fuck the police 30 years ago and that was a lot more for me provocative and challenging mm -hmm. and controversial mm -hmm. but that's just my take yeah. but he is a fucking genius he is oh. a, like a multi like he's a renaissance man he's oh, a true he's, modern day he's renaissance the king. man he's, he's absolutely the king he's <laughs> funny and he's an amazing rapper and an incredible singer musician and a dancer he can fucking dance too see I didn't even I guess you learned that from the, the video, video right? yeah oh jeez <laughs> what's after quadruple the Cinco threat Cinco threat so um, mm. let's, let's move on to your podcast Sure. How long yeah. have you been doing it? You were one of the first musicians, right, to take up the, the I, podcast. Might have been, and start yeah, your own? yeah. Uh, Two thousand and eleven, I started to do one with uh, where I just would read articles that I was writing at the time, and that got boring very fast. Oh, that that was how it started, was it? Yeah, you, like yeah. I did about four or five episodes like that. Then I asked my friend Nick Flanagan, who is a comedian, but he's also a singer. He sang in like punk rock bands like Brutal Nights and uh, Teen Crud Combo. Um, he did tours of Europe and America and stuff and, and we've been friends for well that's the reason why I asked him is because we have a relationship where we're friends but we also fight but we heads. argue even like off the mics we have heated email we've had heated email exchanges um, so I thought that dynamic would be interesting and fun to bring on the podcast even though I knew it was going to eventually drive me up the wall <laughs> Nick has since moved to LA and he's a comedian here. But the problem is I'm in L.A. and now he's back home in Toronto for the, la for the next month and a half. So we can't do anything. Um, but, yeah, that's how it goes. Um, and so then I started to do more podcasts on the road without Nick. And then he moved to L.A., like I said. So I'm just doing it on my own. And whenever we're in the same place, we'll do one. But uh, other than that. It's just been me and, uh, yeah, 175 episodes in since 2011. I do it every two weeks because that's really all I can handle. And I don't care if I get, you know, Johnny Rotten, although I'd love to get him, although I would be scared to death to talk to him. I was so intimidated going <laughs> into the room, but he was great. He, he was everything I wanted him to be and more. It was an amazing podcast i'm like wow he was able to kind of tame rotten you know like to at least like handle him yeah to, to uh, enough to you know keep things semi on track yeah exactly because yeah. i mean if things could go sour very quickly oh, with yeah. that guy and hey who would who would i would never argue with johnny rotten no matter how wrong i might think he is it's like first of all a you scare the living hell out of me he's just an by unpredictable look. force of nature yes. but i also respect him very much i mean well he was another guy that was getting shit because he was coming out in the press and basically again i think he was just joking and messing with people but he would say oh i support um this right-wing politician nigel farage he's an all right guy and he again like gene says stuff just to poke the hornet's nest and everybody was like well fuck this guy and it's like well the thing is is the reason you get to wear blue hair or ripped jeans today is because of people like him who were frontline putting themselves in physical danger to create an alternative youth culture and were being threatened by the police and were being beaten up by fucking actual racists like folk adults who would see this guy with a fucking safety pin through his ear and go you faggot like he was getting fucking shit frontline for years and years and years to allow people in the alternative world to be alternative today and so for me, it's really disrespectful when people kind of don't appreciate someone's contribution in that way and just go, well, he's just some fucking old punk 
he doesn't know anything. Well, A, I don't agree with what he said if he did say that. That's the first time I'm hearing about it. But B, I, I also treat Johnny Rotten a lot differently than Gene Simmons. I put him in a different... Oh, so different. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it, at a different level. there is level. that similarity that they do both say these things that they don't necessarily believe or feel. They just say But I think it Gene be. Simmons believes what he says. Punk rock is a contrarian type of music. Yeah. It's just your natural country. It, it attracts naturally natural contrarian so yeah you want to say things that will piss people off and i get it in 2018 what's going to piss everyone off when you've already sung god save the queen and anarchy in the uk is aligning with the right yeah that would but i i also think that i would give him the benefit of the doubt that there is a tongue in in cheek there but god i hope so (laughs) there absolutely was Yeah, yeah 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 um so having said that yeah i get it he's also he's a performer yeah um, they're both masters of publicity. Mm. There's a reason why they're saying these things when there's a new book to sell. There isn't, <laughs> there isn't a new album. It's a new book. So it's based entirely on their, you know what I mean, larger-than-life uh, persona. I guess when you graduate to that level of performer, um, you know, trying to sell books or albums in that way doesn't bother you. But if I was to do that, it would keep me up at night. Yeah. Um, you know, it's you know, I put out a book. You've got this new book out. Let's talk some shit. That's just then. how it's going Yeah, no. It's just going to be the book, man. I'm just going to say shit like, uh, you know, uh, check it out. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, how yeah, I'm yeah. going to say it. I'm not going to I worked really it. hard on it, and I'm proud of it. Yeah, that's about Read it. Read it. Um, so we just hijacked the conversation. Going back to your podcast, who have been some of your favorite guests that you've got to meet and speak to and interview? Well, I would say Duff McKagan, who wrote the foreword, and that's why I got him to write the foreword to the book. Is the last time he was on my podcast was a discussion on being in a band, playing music, and meeting deadlines with your editors on the road, like a discussion like that. So we we uh, had very similar experiences, albeit he is who he is in in the band he's in and you know he's writing for the Seattle Weekly and he's put out a very a best-selling um book uh, yeah. with it's so easy and how to be a man and have you read how to be a man is I have not man? I've read it's so easy I'd be intrigued to read that I I it's it's been on my to read list but then again <laughs> I'm a book hoarder I'm not a book reader um so I've got three stacks of books at home by my bed unread stacks stacks (laughs) and i just look at it sometimes and i'm like i'm gonna go every for the last two years my new year's resolution is to finish the stack in the year and fail and it just keeps getting bigger it i just got a book yesterday at the book event i walked out with someone else's book uh roger moretz uh from agnostic uh, autobiography which i'm dying to read too have you had him on your show no, no, I heard him on Damien Abraham's podcast, Turned Out a Punk, yeah. and it was awesome. So it really got me to go, fuck, you know what? I got to read the book, you know? So, um, yeah, Duff was one of my favorites. Henry Rollins was one of my favorites, because much like how Johnny Rotten was for you, Henry had heard, I think, heard of me, but, you know, he didn't know anything really about me, and I, he was not... And I sprung the podcast idea onto him. It wasn't something we had scheduled, but he was cool enough to agree to it. Even on just the fly, you on just the said. fly, that was what was so cool about Henry doing that. And I would be the same way. Like if you were to spring this on me, I'd be like, "Oh fuck!" Because he had to catch a plane. I don't think that's 
mentioned in the podcast. So in the beginning of the conversation, I, and when I noticed that he was not thoroughly into talking to me, I said, I just need 15 minutes. And in my head, I was going to just splice it with a talk I had with Ian Mackay from years back, which was about 20 minutes. And nice. then, then you I would have cobbled together yeah. an episode. So I, guess I just need 15 minutes. So we started talking, and I, I really ran with what I knew he would be into, which is just records and record collecting, which is something I could, I could have it. I can hold a discussion with you about that. Um, so we started talking about records and, and noise records and hard to find records. And then I noticed he kind of let his guard down. And when 15 minutes was up, I was like, all right, I got my 15 minutes. It's cool. And he just sat there. And I'm like, okay, I guess I can keep going. And we went for another 15, 20 minutes. And it was amazing. He had a plane to catch. Where did I you do it? We did it in the hotel lobby of the, what is it, the Radisson across from, in, in it was at the Vakken Open Air Festival, but it, the hotel where we were all staying was right across from the airport. So the plane was just a walk away, but still it's a plane you got to catch. Yeah. So... I really, really appreciated him. And he was present even though he had a plane? Was he like there with oh, yeah. you in it? Oh, yeah. But he was, he didn't know me. Yeah. He thought he, for all I know, I could be just some guy who just some knows. Some blogger. Yeah. Like who just knows, <laughs> oh, Henry Rollins, you're. Uh, 12 followers on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, you, you, you were in that band on MTV, right? In the 90s. Yeah. Um, so he was naturally guarded. But I wore him down and I felt like me like wearing him down and and like him kind of like opening up a little to me was a victory. And I really appreciated him for that. And I thought about how would I be in that situation? I don't know if I'd be as nice. (laughs) You know what I mean? So uh, it was very cool of him to do that. And that was one of my hard won podcasts that I still love to this day. But then I do podcasts with basically people that. I really respect, I really like, I track them. When I track someone down and I get a podcast with them, those are always, um, those always feel the best. Like I, I'm a huge fan of Coil and Sharp, which is a comedy duo from, I believe, the 60s. And actually, Henry put out one of their CDs. He re-released one of their old albums on the loose, I believe. And I have it from back in the day. But I also have Mouth Sharp's solo comedy stuff. And, I, and anyways... I, I'm a Coil and Sharp in. fan. Yeah. I found Mal Sharp online and he, there was a contact and sure enough, it was Mal who emailed me back and I think he's in his 90s now, but he's all there. Wow. And so we had a great talk and I kind of fanned. Face to face? No, it no. was through Skype. Right, right. The guy knows how to do Skype, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we, we had, I fanboyed out on him a bit. I'm like, hey man, like I, I, I didn't say man, but I said... I, I love the uh, I love that bit where you know you did this and this and this and he's like I can't quite remember we did a lot of those you know I can't okay I'll take your word for it <laughs> it was great it was such a great discussion but Coil and Sharp to me were you know proto everything proto Howard Stern proto Jackass they they were out in the fifties and sixties and just like like going up to people and just like talking. Uh, creating these crazy zany situations and trying to put people in, in, in these situations and whether, where they were uncomfortable, 
the person that they yeah. approached. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, can we open up your brain? We have this new thing and we're, we're going to slice up your brain and we're going to send you. And then the person on the street would go, uh, very innocent. But at the same time, the the premise was for very, its time as well. For its time was yeah. really cool. If you can put it in context. That's what you've always got to do, I find. It's it was like, wow, like it would have it, it still blows me away some of the premises uh that they that they did like as bits were like still hold up to this day you and know so, who i'd absolutely adore to interview would be fucking cheech and chong <laughs> I, i'm not even a weed smoker but just again what they did for for that culture and for comedy and i mean icons total icons absolutely and and beyond just the comedy it was for me um they were two like visible minorities in the seventies making it cool, you know, and yeah. I just, I really admire, and Tommy Chong is Canadian, I believe. So I, I, I have a natural affinity towards yeah, Tommy yeah. Chong, but, um, and since, and even recently, like Tommy's become kind of a hero in the whole, you know, legalization, uh, movement and everything from, for getting jailed. And he's still in it is what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, full respect for Cheech and Chong, absolutely. And I grew up listening to their comedy albums. And, Protest so. heroes. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's talk about the, um, the next record. Is there. A record in the works at the moment or? yeah there's a record where we uh went into the studio earlier this year with garth richardson garth yeah nice yeah and we were all set to do four songs and put out an ep with that with that session and then we just didn't want the session to end and we we both both parties really got along really well um there were so much things we were because garth wanted to work with us for years um and we did. We wanted to work with him. It's just a matter of scheduling. But we didn't know each other. We just knew each other's work. But then when we were in a room together and we were just hanging, we realized there's so many. Garth grew up 15 minutes from where I grew up. And 
Garth is That's nuts. Yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> Garth's school, his grade school, I was directly in front of my bedroom window from the time I was three to the time I was eleven. So I looked out onto Don Valley Public School, which is where Garth went to school at the time that I was there. So I could have passed Garth on the sidewalk. And so we both have the same I go, so you know Peanut Plaza and you know, Garth would go, Of course I know Peanut Plaza. I used to hang out there. So you're one you were probably one of the kids my mom told me never to be like or hang out. <laughs> so so there is there's that. So that there was like there's really direct connections. Mutual history, yeah. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So getting back to the to the album, we're gonna continue the session. So the four songs are not gonna be an EP, it's just four songs of of what's to become a full-length album with Garth Richardson, and so we're we're kind of writing, uh, we're the writing's going extremely well, uh, and we're, yeah, we're all happy about it, and we should go into the studio with him in the fall. I love how prolific you are with everything that you do. Oh, it's not rocket science. Rock and roll is easier than people let on. I, I love it when musicians like go on and on about their process right and, and meanwhile i'm just like rolling my eyes or this know. is what we do it's good fun but it's easier than people make it out to like when i hear musicians talk about musicians in quotes uh talk about <laughs> uh their lyrics or how they recorded this and that i'm just going man you guys either this is a joke and you guys are this is a long protracted joke that you guys are part of and that would be fucking cool because I'm down with that or you really take yourselves that seriously you douche <laughs> it's not rocket science it's just a matter of finding a good hook you know um, maybe I'm just well, you got it in your blood quickly. you're a rock and roller I don't know it comes maybe like I'm, second maybe, nature maybe I'm actually maybe I, it maybe makes me sound more douchey than the douches that I'm pointing so. out to be douchebags. I mean, for me, rock and roll is something that should just come from inside you, and you just feel it instantly. You know, it's just it's like a groove, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And there's there's so few great rock and roll bands coming through at the moment. Like, say, ten years ago, um, fifteen years ago, when you guys were first coming through, and there was that real wave of bands like I don't know the Dirt Bombs. Oh, like, right, all, like, all that Absolutely. fucking Detroit garage rock and roll mm -hmm. stuff. Um, Another man who's a very outspoken motherfucker, but before all of that, the music, Eagles of Death Metal, bands like that, just great rock and roll. And we need more. I need more. I love that shit. That's but my there favorite. is more. I mean, I can name you a dozen bands. Yeah. That it's just like I was saying before. I think rock and roll They're has just, just out been there on maligned the a bit more. Yeah, like you know, I can name you a dozen. Loot from Norway. Uh, Here lies man. Uh, Admirals for Cloudsley Shovel, um, Wildlife, The Biters, Judah, Faz Waltz, um, Dead Lord, jeez, uh, there's a ton more that I'm <laughs> Night Flight Orchestra, Imperial State Electric, um, I know there's a ton more that I'm missing. Horsant, um, yeah, like. It's out there. It's all out there. And they're all really good players. The, the music is is top-notch. I mean, Admirals for Cloudsley Show is one of my favorite bands out there right now. Here Lies Man as well. Incredible band. You a big Turbo Negro fan? Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. A huge... uh, what's Hank up to nowadays? Do you know? Is he still making music? Or I don't really know. The last I heard of Hank, he was in a movie uh, directed by Amir Chamden of Infinite Mass from Sweden. But that was, I think, going back maybe four or five years now. But I'm not really sure. Um, but Turbo's doing good. I love the new stuff they're putting out. Last few records. I haven't rock and roll machine. I haven't been able to hear the new album, but the the, I I mean, just it's a matter of just getting to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Going through the stack, so to speak. But from what I've heard from other people, it's really consistent with the last few records, and I love the record previous and the one before that as well. Yeah, they're, they're. a very, I think they found their stride. They're <laughs> you very. You give consistent. me worms was one of the songs. That was an it? amazing, was amazing album, sexual harassment. Whole, yeah, that whole yeah. album was amazing. Yeah, it was really. It good. was really, really consistently heavy duty. You probably get asked it all the time, but when you were starting out, who were the guys? Who were the bands that made mm. you want to pick up a well, guitar and be a rock and You actually listed them. Uh, Mick Collins' stuff, whether it was the Doll Rock, uh, whether it was the uh, the Gories or or the Dirt Bombs or or. Uh, uh, King Sound Quartet or, or uh, Blacktop. So he's Collins. got loads of other projects, has he? Oh, I, yeah. I only know of the Dirt Bombs. Yeah, well, he was in the Gories, and the Gories, to me, were laid really the foundation for for Jack White. Yeah, Even absolutely. for John Spencer, to, to a certain degree. Electric Six. It was all kind of in that same. Oh, yeah. I mean, in that whole Detroit scene, there's so many, like the Go, Detroit, the Detroit Cobras. Cobras. Love them. Yeah. yeah um, uh, the Von Bondies. Of course, the white stripes are, you know, what, what everybody latches onto. The doll rods, the demolition the dirt, doll rods. If no I one's heard say. the Dirt Bombs who are listening to this, they are the most soulful rock and roll band you'll ever hear, aren't they? Like, they have heavy soul. Absolutely. Oozing out of every pore. But the Gories with Mick, I mean, uh, I know you find House Rockin'. Those are inc- incredible albums that, you know, being four hours away from us in Detroit, we were able to hear those albums and it influenced the toronto scene which i think also doesn't get you know lauded enough like the the leather uppers which is to me my favorite garage rock band of all time the leather uppers the leather uppers check them out they're incredible um satan's arch enemy god uh <laughs> well i love garage rock bands always have the best names they have the best right names <laughs> the stinkies which were people from the same the two bands i just mentioned but um Rugburn, the Deadly Snakes. I was in a two-piece band in the uh, mid ninety, early nineties before we we started this band called the Violent Brothers. Um, so yeah, there was there's a big scene. I'm for, shadowy men on a shadowy planet. The Sadies. Um, so garage rock and roll was really what inspired Danko Jones. Absolutely, it yeah. was like Blues Explosion, the Gories, um, the Stray Cats, um, the the, M- Stray Cats. Uh, the Stooges. Uh, uh, Rocket from the Crypt, um, yeah, all those bands, and you mishmash, Pussy Galore, you mishmash it all together, and uh, we needed to, we needed to do this band. <laughs> what I love when you're on stage is you're so different to the way you are now. You know, when you when you meet Danko in person, you're obviously a very thoughtful, considered, intelligent, well-spoken guy. When you're on stage, obviously you assume the uh, the persona of the front man. Do you find people are uh, jarred when they meet you in person are they, yeah, are they you expecting see it on their faces they're yeah. expecting like this sure <laughs> but i'm um, i'm I, I i'm true to myself like of course uh, the adrenaline's running through me when i'm on stage it's not running through me now 
So it's not. You're not stoked to be on the podcast. I am stoked. <laughs> I am stoked. You're right. I should take that back. <laughs> but the the adrenaline that you feel when you walk on stage is um, something that it's why you, you do just it. Right? Never experience it in any other facet of life. Like it's just. I think that's why people just keep playing. You know. Um, but I don't miss it when I'm not touring. Sorry, I, I, I don't miss it when I'm not touring, which is an interesting thing. Really? No. You never get that itch after a few days being back home and you're rested where you want to get back out on the road no. again? Because that's such a common feeling, isn't it? It is. I've heard you're it You're just said, all right. Yep. Which is weird, but it's true. I have to be truthful. Um, but then when, for example, tonight, when we get on stage or an hour before, even last night when I was doing the book event, I was like nervous as fuck. Did you do a reading? I did a reading. I did an introduction. I did about a 30-minute speech, and then I did a, a reading. Three hour, I read three pieces from the book, and that was nerve-wracking. Um, same thing that's going to happen tonight. I think if you don't have the nerves before you go on stage, you should quit. Yeah. But when I'm off, uh, off tour, I, I'm, life is so it, – it, it just on tour, it's, it's just nonstop, and it's not quiet, and it, it doesn't stand still. So when I'm off tour, I really relish the, the silence and just the stillness. And uh, I, it's not that I don't miss it. It's just that I... I uh, you enjoy both. I enjoy both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your question? I think you answered it. It was, do you ever sort of notice the, <laughs> the look of shock in someone's oh, face yeah. when you meet them? And, oh, the and two you, and sides that I always get... Yeah asked about <laughs> which i don't feel are two sides at all i think people who really know me uh you know in my personal life when they finally see the band so they've known me before the band and they finally see it they just start laughing because it's i've heard it said back to me well that's just you on 10 yeah and they've also seen me when i've been enraged in my personal life or or i'm angry about something or or miffed about something and then they they it's not as jarring because they've seen me. They've seen that side of me before. So I've seen that wildcat. Yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I mean, they've seen me just fucking lose my shit on usually the most minor things ever, <laughs> you know? Um, but you know, the, the, they're not as jarred. Whereas people who don't, you know, naturally don't know me. And then they meet me off stage afterwards. They're just like, well, what, what's going on here? Is this an act? People say, that's the thing that I want to dispel. Is this an act? And it's not a fucking act. I wrote all those lyrics due to, like, I can't make this, like, it's not Dungeons and Dragons lyrics. I can't make this shit up. Experiences about relationships with other people, whether it's men or women, are from real experiences. The ones about men are usually, you know, about people that I really butted heads with. So you put that in a song. Or the relationship songs are, yeah, like, whether a relationship went well or whether it went sour or, you know, I've never dumped anybody. I'm not a dumper. I've always gotten dumped. And I hated that about myself. I'm like, I'm, I will hold the torch till the, till you put the torch out. Um, and I always hated that. I wasn't, I didn't have a, I thought I didn't have a backbone, a strong enough backbone. But now I go, well, look how many songs were birthed from it. So it's like, no, 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 I, I actually am glad for that now in hindsight. But um, that's what those lyrics are about. So when you see me on stage, it's like, this is really me. 
um, albeit on eleven. Yeah. But it's it, it it is me and the guys in the Rich and JC. They know, you know, and and the crew. They kind of eventually they know if if they just started working with us. Eventually, they do. You know, I love it because I mean, I get it. I I did my first ever stand-up comedy show two nights ago here in no in shit. LA. I went down to Venice. Oh wow! And uh, and did it. And I've been wanting to do it for a long time. I've been writing for a long time. I just haven't, I guess, had the courage. Yeah. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to book myself onto a show, and then I'm going to tell a bunch of friends so they come. So I have to do it. So I did it, and it was great. And the promoter was like, dude, I was so impressed. You're a natural. Like you killed wow. it get on it and do more as soon as you're home and keep the momentum wow, going. Wow, that's so, amazing. New chapter for me. So I get it. I get that idea of it's still coming from you. It's still authentic and sincere and true. It's just amped up because that's entertainment, isn't it? And Yeah, I mean, this volume that I'm speaking to you in, and it just, no one's really interested in hearing it like this. You know, you don't want to hear a... <laughs> In Rock. this format, they in are. this format, of course. In, in this format, yes. You don't want me screaming into the <laughs> mic; it'll overdrive everything, and you won't be able to hear anything. But, but uh, yeah, it, it, everything has its place, you know. But I, that's one thing I really kind of—it doesn't bug me anymore because now I don't—I don't give a fuck. But when I did, because I did, I really wanted to make everybody know that this—this this is me. I'm—it is me. Without compromising myself and, and going, well, I'm going to just be this guy off stage too. And I'm just going to, I can't do that, man. I'll be fucking. Because that's the other thing as well is a lot of performers, I think, do struggle with that, don't they? Mm, is they, they almost do. become the character. They do become the character. And then they live that in their personal life. And then that's when you obviously run into problems with your health and your relationships because you're just destroying everything around you. But I've just... never sung about anything that I don't do. I've never sung about a drunken night because I don't drink. Do you not drink at all? No. Never have? No, I don't. Wow. Well, I mean, I'll have a glass of wine with a nice meal to enhance the meal. Yep. Whether it's fish, you know, nice white wine. Of course, yeah. And I won't even finish the glass kind of thing. Um, and when I do get drunk, once every two years or something, everybody takes out their phones and <laughs> feel like a Writes dancing down monkey. Yeah. <laughs> everybody just watches in, in amusement. It's happened over, you know, the course of 22 years touring yeah there's been times where it's like i'm so fucking bored i got nothing else to do give me another glass <laughs> you know what i mean it's tastes good so uh so i've never painted myself into a corner with my lyrics or my presentation where i can't look at myself in the mirror and go that wasn't you yeah so and i'm comfortable with that representation yeah, of me absolutely i lead with people like Ian Mackay those are the people who I looked up to and Ian is I think a a, a marker for a lot of people mm -hmm. in bands and he's become I think a default whether he wants wants it or not a default kind of like uh, role model for a lot of people for me growing up and there's a funny thing I think Damien and I Damien and I have Damien Abraham and I have even talked about like what would Ian do is what you lead with Sometimes when you're at crossroads in your life, especially crossroads doing music and being in the music industry and trying to trying to make sure that that punk rock kid in you doesn't turn on you. Yeah. In your head. Uh, and I can honestly say 
95% of what we've been doing for 22 years, I can, I'm cool with. There's always 5%. There's always shrapnel as you go through this in any field of work, whether it's music or whether you just work in an accounting firm uh, or sell carpets for a living. You're, you, you know, there's always those moments where you're like, oh, that was the wrong decision. But you live and learn. And I, I can honestly say I'm very happy with, I can look at myself in the mirror. So it's nice. And being in rock and roll, I don't think a lot of people can say that. So I, it's nice. And misconceptions of our band, be damned. I, you know, you just keep trudging on. Thanks for a great talk, dude. We got it Thanks, done. Thanks, Matt. Finally, that seems like a nice note to end it on. Um, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure sitting Always down and chatting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we look forward to some new music real soon, I guess. Oh, final question. Did you do a song with Elijah Wood? A song? Yeah. No, just a video. It was he a was, video. He was in a couple of videos of ours that we shot. Is he a cool guy? In Los Angeles. He seems very interested in and involved in music, music. on quite a grassroots level. Absolutely. He was super cool. Very cool to hang out with. You know, he's like an A-lister. Yeah. And uh, I don't have too much experience with those A-listers. So I kind of was intimidated myself. I kept my distance. But he was very open and really talkative about music. And yeah, it was, it was really cool. Really cool guy. Really nice that he was in our video. He was friends of the directors. And he had, they had already turned him on to our band years before. So he knew what he was walking into. It wasn't just another gig he was taking to, to you know, placate some industry friend of his. Yeah, These yeah, were real yeah. friends, and he was a, I don't know if a fan is, yeah, but he, he liked was, our he band. He was down with the He was down. Guy. He was down, and that was really cool. I, I, I totally respect him for that. And uh, we did it with Ralph Macchio from Karate Kid was uh-huh. in it. Selma Blair was in it. Lemmy was in it. Oh, wow. Mike Watt was in it. Mike so, Watt as well. Yeah. What's the video? I'll have to share it. Well, it was a trilogy of videos okay. from Below the Belt, the album that Dean Carr uh, took the all the it's photos full for. circle. Yeah, it's full circle. <laughs> you know, you hang out in L.A. long enough and it's just a it's circle. It's just one big circle, yeah. right? Um, so we did a trilogy of videos. The first one was the biggest. So it was uh, Elijah Wood, Selma Blair, Lemmy, and Mike Watt. They starred in Full of Regret was the name of the song. And Lemmy just acted in it. Mike Watt was the the narrator. He introduced the video and we didn't know we just we just loved Mike, you know, so I called him up. You want to do this? You want to be in this video, you know, and uh, he's like, sure. And while he was doing his part, because he had to memorize lines like he had to act. Nobody knew if Mike Watt could act. (laughs) He was hitting it out of the park so hard that we were all looking at each other while he was laying laying down his his part and we were like holy fuck awesome <laughs> like it was amazing and you see it in the video he does his whole all his lines and man it was amazing he was like my favorite part of the video and you got to watch that transformation yeah we were, we could not believe it so yeah mike's and mike is so cool he's the man and he always like he always, he, I don't know, he always goes, brother, brother Danko. You know, it's like, it's so nice. He's su- such a nice, warm guy. Um, so it was Mike, Lemmy, 
Elijah Wood and, and Selma Blair. And then the, then we were going to do another one. And it was directed by the Diamond Brothers. So we went into, uh, we finished the video and I just said, what the, how are we going to, while we were recording, uh, uh, filming the video, I said, how are we going to top this? This is insane. This is the lead off video for the new album. How do you, where do you go from here? And then uh, the first name that came to my head because it was just so out of left field was, we got to, what are we going to get the karate kid to be in the next video? And then everybody stopped and then. Everybody was like, can we get Ralph Macchio to be in the next video? <laughs> and sure enough, he's in the next video. And that came out of like, just like pulling a name that was so impossible to get. And as you say, and so unexpected. To do it. And so unexpected to do it. And he, Ralph turned out to be such a cool dude too. And then he also, then him and Elijah both starred in the third video, the trilogy, that final video where he's... Uh, Ralph Macchio is Dr. Lee Dorian. So the Diamond Brothers are big, huge cathedral fans. We're ca- huge cathedral fans and Rise Above fans. So to put that Lee Dorian in, and the fact that, you know, the Dorian Gray character that Ralph Macchio just never ages. He never seems to age. So there is that kind of tie-in too. And Elijah Wood is Dorian. Uh, Ralph is this evil scientist and Elijah's this hitman and I didn't know what was going on, but it was cool. <laughs> and so they fight, and JC does a martial arts scene with Ralph. You know, it was really so cool. good. Yeah, it was fun. A lot of fun. All done. Oh, actually, two done in, in, in L.A. and one done in New York, I believe. Or, yeah, something like that. I can't remember. It was fucking eight years ago, man. <laughs> I thought you were going to say all done right here in this hotel. In this, yeah, in this pool. <laughs> uh, you going for a dunk before the show? Are you? Me? Yeah. Oh no, man! Uh, I'm, hell no! I'm the great indoorsman. Are you the great indoorsman? Yeah. I don't. I don't do. I don't do the beach. I don't do the sun. I don't do palm trees. I don't do. You come to the right town, then, my friend. I do. I, you know, I do nighttime. I do no, no drapes closed, twenty four hours a day. No lights, <laughs> just the light of the laptop. Love it. Yeah. Danko Jones, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show, dude. It's thanks, been a real man. pleasure having you on. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.